Hello once again from the Retreat Church. We're so glad that you've chosen to join us today and listen to the Word of God presented and in this way. And um, grab your Bibles if you got them and turn to Acts chapter 14 as we continue to travel through this wonderful book that has so many um, applications for the times in which we live. And um, you know, our minds are so very, very powerful, aren't they? I mean, I hope so. <laughs> um, being, being of weak mind, that's kind of a, a scary place to live, a, a way to go about life. Um, I hope that your mind is powerful. I hope that you exercise your mind. I hope you fill your mind with so many good and positive things. I hope that you're constantly filling your mind with the Word of God and what it produces in your life is, is beauty and wisdom and intelligence and um, resource for other people. So um, with that in mind, though, um, in, the, in this passage of Scripture, we have something very interesting take place as the gospel is being proclaimed by Paul the Apostle, um, another group of people, some Jewish leaders that, as last week we noticed, were full of jealousy, they started doing something today that presents a big problem, um, even for those of you with the most powerful of minds, and um, they began to poison the minds of the believers. Let that sink in for a second. People receiving the Word of God, people believing in the Word of God, and then non-believers coming into the scene, poisoning the minds of the believers. That's what was taking place in Acts chapter 14, verses 1 through 7. And in some ways, that's what could quite possibly be happening today to many, many, many people who have believed in the Word of God, who have absorbed the Word of God, have allowed the Word of God to um, take hold of their mind and shape their mind and provide a worldview for them by which they're able to understand and view and operate and, and um, contribute to the world around them. And so it's very important that you and I pay attention to our minds. We pay attention because they are susceptible to poisoning. Think about that. Think about that for a second. The, your mind is susceptible to poisoning. That is a major, major problem. That's a bigger problem than anything that can go wrong with our computers. That is a bigger, bigger problem than anything that can go on with, with um, our cars or our physical things that are going on today. Far larger issue than anything going on with our finances, but the poisoning of our minds. So I want to talk about that today because it's such a big issue in the text that is before us. And if I could um, just make one point today, I would be very, very excited. And it would be this, to live out, the excuse me, the lived out gospel heals the poisoned mind. I'll say that one more time because I stumbled over the words the first time. The lived out gospel heals the poisoned mind. Now let's jump right into the text, Acts chapter 14, verses 1 through 7. And as we just look right at verse 1, we can see the following truth, that the gospel must be taught in such a way that helps people believe. Did you know that people today need help believing? That it doesn't just um, suffice to make a list of facts, that if we just... Um, put up the facts, if we just said the facts, if we just said, God loves you, if we just said that, just those words in and of themselves are not sufficient 
to cause somebody to believe in them. Putting a sticker on our car, um, putting, creating a meme online, um, telling people over and over and over and over and over again will not cause them to believe. So what is it really that helps people, specifically in this context, people who have had a, a convoluted mind, a poisoned mind, a prejudiced mind, a mind that um, has a base level of thinking that is, that is illogical, that doesn't make any sense. <laughs> um, I think we've all been in those positions where the things that we thought didn't make sense, the things that we believed didn't correspond with reality, and we had a poisoned mind, and so we needed something. We needed more than somebody just to come along and to tell us something, or we needed something more than just to read something on a printed page or a screen. We needed to be taught in a way that helped us believe. And notice verse 1, now in Iconium, they, Paul and Barnabas, entered together into the Jewish synagogue and spoke in such a way that a great number of both Jews and Greeks believed. Now this is what's very fascinating about this passage of Scripture is that within this passage of Scripture, we really don't have it described to us what is told in the verse saying they spoke in such a way. That way is not described for us in this text. But what's amazing is that people that were divided believed. Both Jews and Greeks believed. So here you have in this one setting, Paul and Barnabas coming into the synagogue, speaking to a congregation that is divided, and they spoke in such a way as to cause a divided people to believe. That is very, very needed today. That is so needed. But when we look at the verse, we're like, what's the such, what is this such way? How do, you, how do you do that? See, we have to go outside of this text and go to another place to find out how Paul the Apostle spoke to people that caused them to believe. Notice if you went to 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 5, Paul wrote this. Our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. You know what kind of men we proved to be among you for your sake. Now that verse explains this such a way that we get in verse 1 of chapter 14 of the book of Acts. Here is the, the how that Paul employed as he spoke to the people because he understood that his words were simply insufficient. And so what he needed to do is he understood that they came not only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit power. So we need our words that we're speaking and writing and texting. We need our words to be empowered by the Holy Spirit. And we also need to be fully convinced of what we're saying. So first, before you say anything, we need to do some research. We need to do some study. We need to become fully convinced. And then we can then ask the Holy Spirit to take that conviction that we have and to be able to empower it into the lives of the people in which we're speaking. 
And then also Paul adds this sentence in 1 Thessalonians, you know what kind of men we proved to be among you for your sake. So Paul says, I'm going to let you into who I am. I'm going to prove to you that I'm the kind of man that you can trust. I'm going to live the gospel out in such a way that when I speak the gospel, you see the same thing in my life that you hear from my words. You see, I believe that as Paul did this in 1 Thessalonians 1.5, I believe this is his way of teaching. We also see in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 1, another piece of the way Paul taught. He says this, and I, when I came to you, brothers, did not pro- come, excuse me, proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. In other words, this very intelligent, highly educated individual, because that's what Saul, the, Saul before he became Paul, he was one of the highest um, educated, well-known people with a dual citizenship um, of his day. And so we learn from this and can use this kind of common acronym with a little twist, a little common acronym with a little twist. You've all heard this, the acronym KISS, right? Keep it simple, stupid is what like people love to say, but I'm going to change that because you're not stupid, you're amazing, and so let's change the acronym and let's make it more in line with the wonderful people that you are, and we'll say KISS means keep it simple, scholar. See, I think that that's just a better way to go about this acronym because I believe that you are intelligent people, you are capable people, you are fully capable of, of reading and studying and doing research, you're, you're, you're fully capable of engaging in a public arena in such a way as to learn something and to gain knowledge. You don't need to speak out of ignorance. You're not stupid. You're not a moron. You're not an imbecile. You are a creation of God with a mind that can function quite well in this society full of people that perhaps have a mind that has been poisoned. I believe that if you're listening to this today and God is speaking to your heart, that you can have confidence that you are not stupid, that you are not a loser, that you are not insignificant, that your voice matters and what God places in you He can use you to speak. You are quite capable of speaking and changing the world of the lives of those around you. So that's verse 1. We see that the gospel must be taught in such a way that helps people believe. We look into Paul's life and the way that he taught, and we see it exemplified in ways that we believe we can move on and and do that ourselves. We We can live that out. We can do the same thing that Paul did. As we move into verse 2, we start to make another observation which is this, that the believing, that believing unbelievers poison the mind. You see, if we're following Jesus and the Bible is forming our worldview, taking in contradictory statements from unbelievers will start to poison our mind and corrupt our worldview. Now, don't get me wrong. Please do not misunderstand me in this point. I'm not saying that we need to take the unbeliever, the person that doesn't believe in Christ, and set them in the category of ignorant to all things. Not at all. I think what we need to do, though, is on spiritual matters, if they don't believe, then on spiritual matters, on biblical matters, on moral and ethical matters, I'm not giving their 
beliefs and their statements the weight that I'm giving the Bible in shaping how I believe things. In other words, when I'm reading something in the Scriptures, and I know it to be the case, and I know my understanding is sound and clear, when a non-believer comes and wants to interject their perspective into that arena, if I do that, I'm going to live out in, in a poisoned mind. Now, I'm going to separate them, and in these matters, these matters of faith, these matters of theology, these matters of living out the gospel in this world, I am not considering the thoughts, beliefs, and perspectives of a non-believer because they are disjointed from what is forming my worldview. Now, in other matters, sure. In other matters, sure. You don't need to be a Christian to work on my car. Quite, quite fine. I'll take my dog to a vet that doesn't believe in Jesus, okay? Well, we'll do those kinds of things. Um, and many others, we, we just don't need to list that. I think you get the point. But notice what Luke writes in verse 2. He says, But the unbelieving Jew stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brothers. Now this is an interesting phrase, this poisoned the mind, because one um, commentator writes that they prejudiced their mind. In other words, they came again like they were doing in previous passages, that they would come and they would speak to believers in such a way that would make Paul and Barnabas look bad. Is what they were trying to do was put bad thoughts into the believer's mind concerning the ones that were teaching them. See, they understood as well what Paul understood, that words were not enough, that words um, can be trusted based upon who they come from, right? As a Christian, we believe God said something. Well, then that's, that's it, that he's the authority on the matter. He, he's God. He said that, and so we're moving in that direction. And I've always thought, once I came to believe in the resurrection of Jesus, I, I thought, well, if Jesus um, raised from the dead, then he is who he said he is, and he is God in the flesh. And so when he says something, I am obligated to, to follow that. I'm obligated to to do that, even though sometimes I want to and sometimes I, I don't want to. And so when we look at this idea, they try to poison the mind concerning Paul and Barnabas. So if they made Paul and Barnabas look bad, then everything Paul and Barnabas was proclaiming then would be gone away with. See what I'm saying? So they were building a prejudice in their mind, teaching them to dislike or discredit or get rid of, or to stop believing anything that Paul and Barnabas said. The King James Version translates um, this phrase, made their minds evil. Isn't that scary? Well, this word, poisoned mind, this comes together to uh, say that it is a mode of thinking that is of a bad nature. In other words, um, it's not taking the individual thoughts necessarily and trying to change those and manipulate those, but it's trying to take the way of thinking, the mode of thinking. And we all have a mode of thinking. And we don't have time um, to go into that kind of lesson, but it's more of a base issue. It's not an a individualistic idea issue. It is a base issue of how we go about thinking, not necessarily what we think. And so when we understand this, that's what they were trying to do. They were trying to give them a bad way of thinking. And I've spoken a lot in our church 
that I believe that the current um, enlightened way to be thinking, thinking individualistically, thinking subjectively, um, removing objective morality and objective truth, and, and thinking in the ways that is most common in our culture today the, with the individualistic and subjective thinking, that, in my opinion, um, is a poisoned mind, is a, that base way of thinking that all truth is relative to me, um, that morality is subjective to me, um, I don't need a God, I don't need a religion, I don't need a Bible, I, I can make up my own reality, I can make up my own truth, and what is true for me necessarily might not be true for you, but you can't step on that. See, I think that that is a poisoned way of thinking. And then really, I think we're seeing today, because of the chaos in our world, um, that it is an unlivable um, mode of thinking when it comes to putting together a society, okay? And so that was what was taking place in the first two verses. As we move forward in the text, we start to discover more in verse 3, where we read, So they remained for a long time, speaking boldly for the Lord, who bore witness to the word of His grace, granting signs and wonders to be done by their hands. And so we learn from this in verse 3 that our words must be confirmed by the Holy Spirit-empowered actions that we perform. So remember, earlier on, Paul taught in such a way that um, he exemplified what kind of person he was. He kept it simple. He um, had his words empowered by not only his own character and behavior, but also the character and power of the Holy Spirit. And now we see in the same kind of way that as the people's minds were being um, poisoned, we see that God came along and God was the witness. This is very interesting that as Paul and Barnabas spoke, God provided a witness to their speaking. God started to do things. God started to perform miracles and God started to um, do things that were outside of the norm to confirm the words of Paul and Barnabas. And so this brings us to this, this kind of notion that we really need God to not only go before us in the power of the Holy Spirit and empower our words as we speak, but as people hear what we have to say, we need God to come behind that and we need the Holy Spirit to do things in our world and in our lives in order to confirm what we're saying. So in other words, we are not enough in this idea to fight a battle or to try to help and assist people whose minds have been poisoned. We are not enough. We need the Holy Spirit to go before us. We need the Holy Spirit to speak through us. And we need God to come along and confirm what we say by the actions of the body of Christ. And we know that when we see this kind of confirmation we start to see people with these aha moments. You start to see people um, like, like the people who heard from the woman at the well in the gospel account when Jesus comes to the woman at Samaria and um, they come and they hear Jesus and then they look at the woman, these community members in Samaria, and they say, not only do we believe because of what you said, but we believe because we've had an encounter with him ourselves. And, and we, we really need that today. So moving forward in the text to um, save some time here, we look at verse 4, and in verse 4, we see this phrase, but the people of the city were divided. Oh no, 
<laughs> and then again, there's no um, resolution to this division in the text. You'll notice at the beginning when Paul and Barnabas came into Iconium and they started speaking that both Jews and Greeks in the synagogues were both believing. Now, this is in, in, in their church. That's what, that's what their synagogue was. It was our local meeting place, our local church. And so they came in. So within this church, you had this diverse group of people. They were being unified by the gospel. And then Luke gives us a snapshot of the whole community. But the whole community was divided. Now, at this point in this, in this sermon, I had to kind of think about this. And I had to think about a diverse church finding unity in the gospel, and then a divided community, an outward community, a divided society. And as I started to think about that um, and, and look at some Scripture, I discovered that there will always be division between those who follow Jesus and those who do not. Now, Jesus makes this point clear in Luke chapter 12 when he says that I have come to cast fire on the earth and would that it were already kindled. I have a baptism to be baptized with. He's speaking of his death. And how, a, how great is my distress until it is accomplished. Do you think that I have come to give peace on earth? No. I tell you, but rather division. For from now on, in one house there will be five divided, three against two, two against three. They will be divided, father against son, and son against father, mother against daughter, and daughter against mother, mother-in-law against her daughter-in-law, and daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. So he says there's going to be division. So when you look at this issue of unity and division, in this passage and in Luke chapter 12, we come away with this idea that People that gather in worship in a local church, synagogue in this case, they found unity in the gospel, but they lived in a society that was divided, and they had homes, and they had families where that division was a reality. Same thing is going on today, isn't it? Same thing is going on today. So where is the unity? The unity is found in those that believe in the testimony of Jesus. Look at John chapter 17, verse 20 and 21. In the, in the high priestly prayer of Jesus, he prays this, starting in verse 20. My prayer is not for them alone, in other words, the people that were with him. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. That's us. For all of them may be one. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us that the world may know, or excuse me, may believe that you have sent me. In other words, Paul or, uh, Jesus is praying with this knowledge that his very presence and his life is causing division in society and in families. And so he then prays that God would provide a unity within the believer that the believers are to be unified, and this unification of believers will cause the divided kingdom, divided, divided society, and divided family members to begin to believe. So in this idea of healing a, a poisoned mind, 
and this view of seeing all of this division, where are people supposed to look to find the unity and the lifestyle and the people and the way of thinking that would bring healing to their poisoned mind. It is to be in the unity of the church. That's why I am so, 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 so passionate about Christians staying unified under the essential doctrines of the Christian faith. That's why no matter your political standing, I'm calling you to believe in the Apostles' Creed. No matter if, if you um, have certain theological um, bends or, 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 um, or, or ideas, whether you're a Calvinist or you're a Wesleyan, Arminian, or whether you're a Baptist, wherever, whatever, <laughs> whether you're Roman Catholic, wherever you are Orthodox, we must find a place in the essentials to find unity so that the world living out in an unbiblical worldview will find a place to have their poisoned minds healed. So I believe that Jesus has prayed for that, and I believe that if we pray for that, we can actually begin to live that out. And so you'll see, as you finish the text, you'll notice that regardless of how the Christian is treated, we cannot quit living out the gospel. Notice verses 5 through 7 of our text in Acts chapter 14. When an attempt was made by both Gentiles and Jews with their rulers to mistreat them and to stone them, they learned of it and fled to Lystra and Derbe, cities of Lyconia, and to the surrounding country, and, they were, and there they continued to preach the gospel. So in conclusion then, I have a challenge for you that comes in the form of two prayers. Prayer number one, I would like you to ask God if your mind has been poisoned. Don't just spend some time in these coming days, in these coming weeks, as you observe the world around you, as you look at all of the different things that we're dealing with in our culture today. You would simply spend some time with God and you would ask Him, you wouldn't ask me. You wouldn't ask your wife. You wouldn't ask your husband. You wouldn't ask your children or your neighbors. You simply sit with God. You spend some time, and you have this open kind of question with God, this open dialogue, saying, God, has my mind been poisoned by unbelievers? The second prayer request or, or second challenge to prayer would be this. Ask God to bear witness to your words. Ask God to bear witness to your words. So as you are proclaiming certain things that you believe are true, ask God to come and do something in that person's life that would prove that what you're saying is from God. Father, we thank you today for your word and for all that it entails. We know, Lord, that there is so much more in this text that, we've, um, that we haven't observed today, and if there's anything in the text that you would like this audience to receive today, I pray that your Holy Spirit would bring that to their, to their attention. If there's other angles to view it that I haven't explored today, pray that you would help them to see it. Lord, I pray that as um, people seek you in the coming days, that you would speak very clearly to them whether or not our minds have indeed been poisoned, and I pray, Lord, that you would bring people into our lives that would bring healing to those portions of our mind that have. 
I believe, Lord, that each one of us has um, blind spots in our lives. Um, each one of us have places where um, we don't see clearly, and we need the love and the support and help of others to help us to do that. We love you. We thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. We'll see you next time.